Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for listening to the Scramble Eggs and Ham podcast. My name is Bill Clark. My co-host, his name is Don Maxwell Wade. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Carla Cook. Say, say hey, Carla and Don. Hey, hey. Hello. How's everyone? And thank you so much for the invitation to come and chat with the two of you and your listening audience. Thank you so much for coming on this morning, Carla, Dr. Cook. Dr. Cook, can you tell us, first of all, Dr. Cook, this morning, Don and myself, we are the scrambled eggs, and you are the, what are you? I must be the ham. Yes, correct. <laughs> you're, the, you're the ham. So, Dr. Cook, you know, um, this morning, this podcast is on people helping people. And, and Don, can you tell us, give us a little bit of intro about scrambled eggs and ham? Yep. Um. Welcome to another episode of the Scramble Eggs and Ham Podcast. It's a weekly interview show focused upon the reinvention of life of each interviewee as a result of or inspired by the life-changing illnesses that have now become part of their daily existence. It's hosted by Bill Clark and myself, Brian Wade. In each case, the interviewee has used his or her illness from strokes to neurological illness disorders or served as a caregiver or medical professional that works with this population as patient uh, the population of patients for such a person as the impetus for the creation of or solutions to as yet unsolved problems. Wow. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for that intro. And I'm just going to say a little bit about um, Dr. Cook. I've known her for a little while, just a little while. And Dr. Cook helps people with physical, emotional, and mental health issues. Dr. Cook, how did you get started in this? Hello? Okay. So there is a uh, possible long answer to this. <laughs> but um, I would really say that I, even as a child, um, I was a person that loved to help people. In fact, I always um, think about at the age of 13, I wrote this poem. And it said, I'm growing up and growing up free. No one in the world will ever stop me. I want to do <clears throat> the things that are right. I want to help people black or white. I'm growing up and growing up free. Uh, I'm growing up and growing up strong to help the people who do me wrong. So I think it was inherent that I was drawn to people. I loved people. Um, for a little while, I worked in the computer field, and I was given this opportunity to uh, become a computer operator, and it became a, a computer programmer, excuse me. And it became like a pivotal moment for me because I was like, well, I like people. I had been working in computer operations. And uh, so at that moment, I went back to school. I enrolled in community college and the rest is history. I you know, went to my um, doctorate, uh, became a licensed psychologist and went into private practice. So there's so much more to that story, but I will pause there. Wow! Thank you so much for that story. Wow! So you you went from technology to to people to helping to psychology. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
I went to technology because um, when I got out of high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I, I still wasn't really clear. I wasn't really the most focused at that time. Mm-hmm. And all my friends went off to college. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And so I enrolled in a training school. Uh, I For a data entry, I, uh, you know, just pursued that. And I ended up becoming a computer operator. So it was kind of what was in front of me. And I did enjoy it. You know, I was, I was good at it. Uh, but it really was not my heart. My heart was always for people. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a great... <laughs> Doctor, you you stated that you wrote that poem, that um, poem at what age? I at at the age of thirteen, I wrote that poem, and I can't even remember why. You know, I imagine something took place, but I I at that time I did enjoy writing poems, and so I don't know if I was just inspired. Or something happened, and that's why you know I took pen to paper. But yep, I was thirteen. That was a. I'm I'm sorry. That was. <laughs> I'm really, that was a very intentional poem for a uh, student at that age. That's why I'm a little taken aback. Um, and, you know, it, it it was very obvious what you were headed headed for. Yeah, I think it's why it stands out to me, because as an adult, you know, reflecting back on my childhood and going into my teenage years, and the fact that I I wrote that, it just really is a reminder to me that this was, like, always in me. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. So what... what projects are you working on right now? People helping people. That's an interesting topic. Yeah, it's heal people, heal people. Heal people, and heal people. Mm-hmm. Heal, heal, yeah. heal people, heal people. And for, for a few years, I, um, well, well what, I, what I will start by saying, I was in private practice for a number of years. Um, and I actually had a counseling center. I'm the founder and the director of a counseling center. And in around 2016, I really started to feel the pull to go outside of the therapy room. Mm-hmm. That the, um, you know, this message about emotional health and emotional wellness was larger and it needed to really be heard publicly. And so I started talking about um, emotional health publicly. I started first on uh, Facebook Live, and then I had a radio program, and I published a book um, all on on being well. So that was Mm -hmm. the topic of my Facebook Live talk. That was my radio show. And my book is called I'm Being Well workbook foundations of positive emotional health okay so that was really the beginning of me just beginning to talk about um, emotional health publicly and more recently 
that just has expanded. And I, you know, made a significant investment in just speaking publicly and doing that professionally from a professional perspective uh, so that I could be very intentional. And so I really started talking about had this vision of, you know, how heal people heal people. Often we talk about hurt people hurt people, but there's a reality that healed people heal people. And so if we can have more healed people, we'll have more healed people in the world that heal other people. The world will be a better place, a brighter place. Mm-hmm. Uh, some world issues will be you know, addressed at, at deeper levels. There'll be possibly this opportunity for us to reach across just different aisles and, and land on things that we have in common. Mm-hmm. And people themselves will just be better able to pursue their purpose. So that was kind of the uh, ground for heal people, heal people. Do you feel, Doctor Cook? Do you feel that it would be it would be a benefit if, in, even in high school, that uh, pupils that that students learned took a course in psychology or sociology? Would that help people? to help people better, to understand people better, to have a meaning, more meaningful dialogue about mental health? You know, I absolutely um, do. And as you ask that question, I think about um, a time where I actually worked in uh, the school system. And when I worked in the school system, there was an emphasis, and I believe there continues to be, <clears throat> excuse me, this emphasis on social, emotional learning. And so really teaching children at a young age about factors and just inherent personal qualities like kindness and sharing and helping students and young people begin to understand their emotional life, have an emotional awareness, be able to label emotions and learn emotional regulation and learn about community mm-hmm. and the fact that it's larger than just us individually, that there, that we do want to and need to care for other people. We're our brothers and our sisters keeper. So I absolutely strongly believe that it has to start or should start or needs to start at a young age. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Working when I was working in the behavioral health sphere uh, space, uh, definitely I could see how that could definitely be a benefit to how we how we meet and greet each other and how we think about you know our relationships because so we're all connected. I believe. Don, do you have a question? This is um, be clear to our listeners. Uh, You know, the media now is full of talk about mental health. Now, we're mentioning emotional health. How how are the two different or the same? Okay, I love this question because a lot of times we talk about um, mental health and emotional health, and we use those those terms interchangeably. Okay. Uh, really, mental health is like the umbrella. 
And underneath it, if there were spokes underneath it, there would be a spoke for behavioral health. So our behaviors, the things that we do or we don't do, Mm -hmm. um, there would be a spoke for our cognitive health or our thinking processes, our mind, our, our, our brain. And then there would be a spoke for emotional health. And under emotional health, often, you know, we think about emotions like feelings, but uh, it really is like I was talking about with the social emotional learning, having an awareness of our emotions, being able to label our emotions, having emotional regulation. It has a lot to do with the dynamic internal experience of who we are. Um, as well as our ability to like manage stress and be able to adapt to life changes. So it really points a lot to resilience. So emotional health is a part of mental health, but mental health is broader. Mm. So when you, Mm. when when you started um, your career as a psychologist, you know, um, what was something that was more challenging to than than you expected? When you started out your career as a a psychologist, what was something that was more challenging to you than you expected? So, let me see. I think what was challenging to me, what I would say what was challenging to me once I was licensed and in private practice was um, even though I had gone through like internships and things like that where I had practical, you know, experience. Once I was on my own, I had to begin to think about my strategy or techniques of working with uh, the people that were in front of me in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I had learned about like psychodynamic kind of processing, uh, really looking at the, you know, giving insight mm-hmm. uh, and that being a big part of the healing experience. And then what I really found is that people needed more than that. They needed more than someone, you know, just not just because that's an important area, but mm-hmm, right. mm-hmm. they needed more than looking at insights and recognizing different aspects of life. They needed some practical steps and they needed really different techniques that were tailored to their particular experience. And so that was a challenge. And from there, I, I did go back and um, I took additional like continuing education. Mm-hmm. I went through a whole program of, uh, with uh, trauma-informed therapy because that was not a big part of my graduate program Mm -hmm. and so I did a lot of studying and a lot of drilling down on trauma-informed practices because I was seeing a lot of that in my practice and I just had to continue to learn and and continue to grow as a professional. Mm, Good, great, that's a great great story and that's a great, um, I could see how these obstacles arise, but you were able to overcome them. Don, do you have a question for Dr. Cook? Yes, I do. Um, so, since you are dealing with or with the emotional health of people, 
um, do you see sort of a almost a program that could possibly begin during childhood and move move through life that children maybe um, build upon throughout life? That's an interesting question. I think the thing that I think about when you ask that question, the first thing I think about is our home lives because our parents, our immediate environment is really our first teacher. Right. And so I think the, the program starts at home and it does connect back to that you know, that idea that I have about healed people healing people, if parents are whole, if they've done their own work, if they've been able to process through life and resolve some of their own brokenness and some of their own hurt, that they're going to be better able to give that to their children. And so I think, you know, definitely it starts with the family, it starts at home. I think then we look at community. I think community is so important. Um, you know, it, we have that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And so as we begin to look at communities, uh, and I think we can find communities where that can be found, you know, in after school programs, in informal spaces like um, churches or synagogues or, or mosques or different religious um, experiences that that are helping children grow, you know, spiritually and and morally. I think those aunties and grandmas and uncles that are on the block and they, you know, talk about their experience and their stories and give those life lessons. And then I do think there are more formal spaces where there are therapy offices you know, sometimes that takes place in schools. I think schools do, you know, or have a big responsibility, and a lot of them do more than just the academic of teaching that they do have, like those therapeutic services that are needed for, for children. And I think it depends on the district and, and, and where you are. Uh, I know I worked in a district where we had school-based youth services, and so we were able to... Uh, provide therapy right on site and mm. other kind of enrichment programs. So I think in schools, and then I think it's important to not overlook actual therapy, psychotherapy for children, whether it be play therapy, you know, at young ages, because children have problems too. Mm-hmm. Children's lives are not always just, you know, smooth and, and sometimes, you know, they come into the world with their own challenges or they have family experiences or unfortunate situations right, right, <laughs> excuse right. me, have happened that they then have to, you know, look at for themselves. So, yeah, I think it is a very comprehensive look at how to meet the needs of children at, at various ages. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Cook, I have a question for you. So, um, we are in, Don and myself and my, our listeners are in the neurodiversity space, or some of us had strokes, um, which um, impeded our ability to, uh, you know, continue our dreams. Some have MS, some have cancer, MS, and strokes. 
Have you worked with that community before? I have worked um, individually with people that have had many physical challenges, some mm-hmm. that you have described, you know, many chronic um, diseases, illnesses that but they're living with lifelong some that were very healthy and then unexpectedly they, they found themselves having to deal with medical emergencies and experiences that they never had to deal with um, before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, so that's on the physical space. And then, you know, even in the emotional space, what I will say is one area um, of specialty or I've done a lot of work around is in child abuse and neglect mm-hmm. and so for children and and now adults that have lived through you know homes and and parents that have had like complex trauma so that they're, they're dealing with that mm-hmm. even into their adult years um right. so yeah i definitely have sat with people who are are dealing with the chronic lifelong challenges in the, in, in the physical realm. Uh-huh. Question about that. So we were in lockdown and I, I heard a lot of different things and seen a lot of different things with people who were on lockdown, who were being abused or um, now they really found out what their spouse is about because, you know, you can't go anywhere on lockdown during the pandemic. Right. So what was during that time? How did you experience that during the lockdown when people could not go out and they were like sort of like trapped with someone they didn't necessarily want to be with? What was your toolbox like? Well, I think it was really a varied experience. I think in some ways on the positive end, it gave people an opportunity to spend more time together, (laughs) to Mm -hmm. do more together, to learn different aspects of of their partners, maybe that they hadn't, to be able to play games and laugh and watch mindless TV and, you know, work from Mm -hmm. home side by side and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's on the positive end. But absolutely, there were many situations where it was much more uh, challenging. And it really, you know, was an opportunity to have to make some hard decisions mm-hmm. about, am I really with the right person? Mm-hmm. Have I chosen the right profession? Mm-hmm. Am I in the right direction? Mm-hmm. I, like, have I even spent enough time with me to like me? And, okay. and to know- <laughs> right, and right, so right, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think definitely we do see and we do know that the number of people looking for mental health services definitely increased. Uh, There was a significant demand that was difficult, honestly, to to fill. Mm -hmm. I think on the positive end with that, we had virtual therapy. Mm -hmm. And that was something that very often, you know, insurance companies, they did not approve. So, At that point during the pandemic, many people were able to access services um, virtually. And um, so that that was more on the healthy end. And, and if they were able to access services, then they were able to get tools. You know, mm-hmm. when you talked about tools, uh, for me personally, I think about my, my book because 
my book includes um, 21 tools mm-hmm. and strategies to really help combat stress. What, Dr. Cook, what is, can you say the name of that book again? Yeah, it's On Being Well Workbook, Foundations of Positive Emotional Health. Thank you. And so, yeah, so I go through like those 21 tools and, and there are actual exercises that uh, one can do. So, you know, um, that's what I think about on my end when, when I think about tools. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was a challenging time, a difficult time. And a time where we had to really face our, ourselves and, and make some really tough decisions about how we were going to go forward and what life was going to look like and be like for us. Yes, yes, I definitely agree that we were working from home, all four of us. And, when, and my, my family, I know for, for me about my family, we worked from home, all four of us, and we got really close and we ate together. And um, it was really a, a great experience, you know. Um, working from home and dealing with um, people and the behavior health space and looking at my family and hearing about other experiences, I really, really grew as a, as an individual, um, how, um, fortunate, you know, my fortune, you know, how fortunate I was and a more appreciation and gratitude towards my family. But Don, do you have a question for Dr. Cook? Don, I guess Don is, um, did he leave the space? I think he left the space. He'll call back. But Dr. Cook, when you get into a rut, a rut, and all of us do it time to time, times, you know, times to time we get into ruts. How do you get out of it? Uh, There's a number of things that I do. I think for me, when I start to really face challenges in life, my instinctually, I slow down. Mm -hmm. I start to unplug and I really start to go inward. You know, for me, um, prayer is significant for me. That That's a place that I call home. Mm-hmm. And so I start to really look for meaning in my own spirituality and really start to understand, you know, where I am and, and what's happening. So that's big for me. Mm-hmm. I'm also someone that I, I love relationships and I connect with relationships and I have some good girlfriends that I can be transparent with, I can be vulnerable with and and so sometimes it may be relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it may be, you know, a good laugh, turn on some T V, you know, laughter is medicine. And so sometimes it's laughter or it may be mindless T V. Mm-hmm. Um it may be, you know, like I said, just taking a break. Sometimes we just need to take a break. Right. You know, it's like a computer. If you unplug it, if it starts to go in a loop, you unplug it, you plug it back in, and it starts to work again. So unplugging is important. I do walk. I like to exercise, you know, drink water, take vitamins, do B12 so I have some energy, rest, sleep, mm-hmm. just some, like, practical Mm-hmm. thing. So it's not really one thing that I do. I have a variety of things, variety of things that I do. Mm-hmm. And it depends on kind of where I am, where what I'm going to go to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, uh, yeah. I was on mute. That's why you didn't hear me. But I had a question, mm-hmm. which is, do you think 
there is uh, there is stress. See, it is not as simple for each person to necessarily get to an appointment because of physical difficulties. So the stress associated with getting from home to the actual office um, seems to be pretty, we were, you were talking about virtual appointments. You know, in the virtual appointment world, that's often for a person with, who, that takes away a level of stress that a person who has difficulty moving mm-hmm. would experience. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I was just wondering if, you know, there seems to be a population of people who would benefit greatly from the virtual uh, appointments. Mm-hmm. I still think you need human contact, yep. But, you know, the virtual works well, I think. Don, I totally agree with you 100%. I think once we came into virtual spaces, it was like a light bulb moment. It was an epiphany that really... You know, it takes a, a, a level of stress away, and you're absolutely right. For those who are dealing with more physical challenges, more physical difficulties that were preventing them even in the first place from accessing services, it opened up a whole new world. You know, for some people who are not able to drive because, you know, maybe they um, they have problems with eyesight or they may be legally blind. And, and like you said, even physically, the, the movement and not having the mobility mm-hmm. to be able to access, you know, not even just therapy services, but I, I really think other things became popular, like meetups, uh, groups, uh, things like that to be able to connect with other people. It was, it was so important and it continues to be so important. And and virtual spaces are here to stay. <laughs> Even though the world is opening up, they are not going away. I think that's great. I hope yeah. they don't go away. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> because some of my appointments are like um, far from my, my dwelling and um, it's been really incredible to have these, this technology where we can touch and talk to each other, you know, um, not touch physically, but we can touch each other by just what we're talking about today and touch many, many people about these experiences and these stories that you just shared. Don, do you have another question? Don, you still on mute? I didn't have, no, no, I'm not. I'm not on mute this time. Um, didn't have one specifically right now um, that because the other question was burning in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Don, even as you say that and, and you're, you know, other things are processing other questions, um, Bill, yes. you know, we talk about hoping that they don't go away. I think we are demanding that they stay. <laughs> you know, yeah. even if you think about remote work that 
you know, it, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And even so many companies now have hybrid. So mm-hmm. even if they're having people come back into work, you know, one or two days where they're, you know, working from home, we have found that we can be effective from home. Right. That we can have that touch heart to heart, you know, from home. And yes, it's nice to be together physically, but it's not the end all and be all. And like you were saying, introducing, there's some things that limit that or or prevent that. And it was creating barriers, you know, before for Mm -hmm. people to really be able to have access to so many spaces. Right, right, right. Absolutely. You know, the only problem with working from home, Dr. Dr. Cook, is that you gain so much weight. The kitchen is always there, man. It's like, well, let me go get this muffin. Let me go get this pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to have discipline. Um, but I, I loved working from home in that space. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, I love going to the office to see my my co, you know, my coworkers and talk to them and chit chat, maybe have a beer or something after work. But I got more work done from home. There's less wow. dis- distractions because everybody was, you know, my kids were doing their work and they were doing their thing. You know, I had to put in a, a stronger bandwidth, you know, computer bandwidth because everybody was working from on their computers. But it was quite an experience. And yeah, you know, I hope it doesn't go away. It should never go away because there's people like myself and Don who benefit this greatly and can, can can accomplish the same thing you can in an office in New York or Connecticut that you can at home and even more, you know, you can do more, you know. So I sometimes I think that working in an office is just like it's just a manipulative thing, you know, to me, you know, like looking over your shoulder. I kind of got that kind of feeling, the coffee, you know, the water cooler thing. Um, and I didn't have that at home. I was able to really focus on um, um, the people that were having these issues with lockdown and things of that nature. So listen, Don, um, yes. you have the last question. Or Dr. Cook, you have the last question. I'll defer to Don. Of course you will. <laughs> 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 um, if you don't have one, it's okay. I do. De- I defer the bill. Okay, so I'm going to ask Doctor. I have a question for Doctor Cook. She told us how she gets out of a rut, right? She does her mindfulness. Is that correct, Dr. Cook? You take care of yourself. You go for walks. You take vitamin B12. You talk to your girlfriends. Do you belong to a sorority? No, I do not. Okay. My daughter- <laughs> I don't belong to a sorority, but I tell you, I'm, I have been very intentional at some point in my life of, of making friendships, keeping friendships, and nurturing friendships. So it's, I guess I have my own friendships. For sorority. <laughs> okay. I like that. I love that one. Yeah. I'm working on nur- nursing friendships more as I grow older with wisdom. Um, so do you have a question for me and Don, Dr. Cook? I think, you know, what's on my mind, it's not as much of a question, but in the back of my mind, I'm just kind of thinking about your listening audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the fact that you know, one of the things for me that's so important is um, this creating like healing spaces. Mm-hmm. 
uh, spaces where like emotional health and being whole like really becomes this priority and it's something that is practiced. And you had asked me before about if I've worked, you know, with anyone that has had chronic, you know, physical illnesses. And so I'm, I'm thinking about all of that in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the reality that there are some tough days and some tough moments and how or, or what can be helpful, you know, even for the listening audience. And so as we're ending, maybe I can just throw out a few things, okay. uh, a few tools, because you had talked about the tools. Mm-hmm. And I think number one, your listening audience already is on to podcast because you're here. Mm-hmm. And I do think this is a fabulous, wonderful way to have access to encouragement and information. And there are, you know, many um, podcasts that, that are available to us that can kind of keep us motivated, uh, give us food for thought, uh, and something that we can really look at even on a daily basis. I think when we are dealing with challenges and difficulties, it is important to feed ourselves daily, to feed ourselves well, and, and, and you know, quality information. It's just like if we want to feed ourselves, um, you know, food, we, we want to have things that are nourishing to our body. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to feed our, our brain and our soul and our emotional self with positive a thing. So, you know, um, podcasts, many blogs or magazines, online articles. We talked about the virtual space. And so the meetup, I, I really love that app. But there are other ones um, where, you know, you can go and you can just look at different clubs. It may be a book club mm-hmm. or it may be like a, a special group that looks at the stock market or financing or art or whatever kind of interest um, that you may have. And then, Bill, you talked about like that nurturing relationship. And I, I think so often we end up like suffering in silence and in silos. And so the importance of reaching out, not feeling like, oh, I'm going to be a burden or, oh, nobody wants to hear from me or, oh, it's Mm -hmm. the same old, you Mm -hmm. know, conversation. No, you know, people want to know you're okay. They want to to hear from you. And um, so to, to, you know, begin to reach out and make sure that you are cultivating those relationships. Um, So having the tools, and using the tools because we can have tools at home. You know, we can have every tool mm-hmm. that's needed, but if we don't pick it up and if we don't use it, it's not going to be useful. So that's kind of what is on my heart. That's what's been on my mind. And it is my hope that, you know, something that was said is going to be really something that will be a takeaway and your listening audience can really hold on to it. And it can com- become meaningful and it can become something that really makes a difference. Right. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you so yeah, much. Very good. Thank, thank you. you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on this morning, Dr. Carla Cook. And um, Dr. Carla Cook, if people want to reach you, is there a way for them to reach you? 
I think the best way to reach me, well, there are a couple of ways. If you are on social media, I am very active on social media. On Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Carla J. Cook. Don't forget the J. And Cook has an E at the end. What's the J stand for? Or what's that? What's the J stand for? Joy. Okay, well, we got a psychologist with middle name is Joy. You can't yeah, miss that. You can't beat that. Cool. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so that's Instagram. I imagine you're going to drop some information uh, when you drop the um, podcast because I'm on LinkedIn. I have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And my website is also drcarlajcook.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's or Carla with a C, <laughs> don't forget the J, and Cook with an E. I would love to stay in touch. One other thing I would mention, um, I am offering a free gift. It's, um, it's an On Being Well Experience audio program, and um, it's my voice and my process, and it's a download. So if anyone would want that, I would love to put that in your hands. They just me, so you would text the word whole, that's W-H-O-L-E, text that word whole, to the number 844-990-3088. And then you'll be connected with me, and I will be, you know, sending updates and, and things of that nature. Wow. So it won't be a one and done. We'll be journeying together going forward i would love that wow thank you so much for that thank you for that so thank you thanks thank you listeners for listening to our podcast today to the scrambled eggs and ham podcast today we had a special guest dr carla j cook that's j for joy dr carla j cook was on this morning with us sharing her story and giving us some tools to cope with this in these hard times thank you so much dr cook So thank you for joining us today. My sincere prayers are for your health, your happiness, and that you live out your lives to the fullest. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you, Dr. Cook. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for listening. Take care.